is Tuesday. It's nice to have you here post-Iowa caucuses. It's freezing cold outside, so I'm really sorry about that. Uh, but things are heating up. Boy, that's tacky, hey? Like, what a transition. That was just lame. That was just a, that was, that was sad. Pathetic. I, I do mean it, though. Uh, things are heating up for the Long Island serial killer suspect, Rex Hewerman, because he got pulled back into court today, and they threw another book at him. Uh, and when I say book, another murder charge, like not another charge for, you know, pertaining to the three that he's already facing, you know, in that whole suspected line of bodies that they found on Gilgo Beach. No, a fourth. It's taken months, but they're now like, we're ready. We said it was going to happen. We said you're going to face likely a fourth murder charge. And today they put their money where their mouth was. We're going to tell you a little bit about this fourth murder victim and there's something in I mean there's something really different about her case um like there's something really different the way her body was disposed of and the things they found on it and then you know that whole documentary business where Rex Herman's wife comes to court with a documentary team in tow. Happened again today. This time it was a bit rock star. She had sunglasses on, documentary team, and daughter. Daughter was important because now daughter's getting roped into this because now daughter's a part of the evidence. I'm going to explain it all to you, give you the real sort of thick, rich context of what happened today and all the new evidence. And let's just say it's summed up really well with one word, gross. That's coming up. Also, you just heard Dan Abrams talking about it. Alec Murdoch. And you might call him Alex. You might call him Alec. They're both right. Uh, Shuffles into court today. And when I say shuffle, I actually mean shuffle because he tripped. He tripped trying to make his way into the courtroom and over to, watch this. Yeah. Defense table. And I was looking closely. Look at his feet. Usually he's, you know, got um, shackles around the feet, but not, not this time. This was just a step. So when I look at that as a misstep, I'm wondering if it's an omen. Because what he wants is something he deserves. He wants a hearing. He wants to tell the judge why he thinks the clerk of the court involved in his trial that resulted in a guilty, you're being put away for life, no parole. He wants answers as to why he believes she influenced the jury. There's some evidence there that there was like chitty chat chat going on between the jury and uh, the, the clerk. She wrote a book. She talked about how to make money at the book. So today was all about what you can have, Alec, Alex, and what you can't have, Alec, Alex. I'm going to tell you all about that and why I actually think it looks good. I think we're going to have another trial. Now, I've seen it before, multiple times, on big, big cases like Phil Spector and everything else, where it's like, oh, dang, we're going to do this all over again. So I'm going to tell you about that. And then, oh, jeepers. So if you were watching all the UFO business last week about the jellyfish and a couple of other things that, uh, you know, all of a sudden are leaking out into the public and the congressional hearings on these things, secret congressional hearings not allowed to hear, Why? Well, it's really opened the floodgates, it turns out. Now we're like getting bombarded with UFOs. What a weird image there I just created. But we're getting bombarded with stuff. People are coming out of the woodwork. I'm going to run through three of these cases with you in a hot minute and tell you what they're about, why they're important. And then I think the most important thing is, what do you do? What are you even supposed to be looking for? And if you spot it, what do you do?
Because last time I heard a 911 call about someone who saw a UFO, they made it on like, you know, the, the, the crazy talk shows, etc. So look, we're going to give you a full roadmap all coming up in just a minute. But first, this. Between December of 2010 and December 2011, do you remember what you were doing? Do you remember where you were? Because I do. I am a true crime reporter, and I know that that was one hinky year. Because uh, in this tri-state New York area where I am, 11 sets of human remains were suddenly found. And they were scattered, kind of buried, kind of dumped, kind of scattered, kind of animal activity, uh, all along the south shore of Long Island. But the first four of the 11 sets of remains, those were different. Because they were all bound and wrapped in burlap. And they were found a quarter mile of each other all near Gilgo Beach. Long before the arrest last summer of a suspect in those murders, those bodies were known as the Gilgo Four. And until today, Rex Hewerman had been charged with three of the killings. That's again until today. Tonight, Hewerman puts his head on the pillow in jail, facing a second-degree murder charge in the death of a fourth. Maureen Brainerd Barnes. She was 25 years old. She was a mother of two when she disappeared in 2007. Here is what her daughter Nikki said when the prosecutors unveiled that new and bigger indictment. While the loss of my mom has been extremely painful for me, the indictment by the grand jury has brought hope for justice for my mom and my family. Remember how little she would have been in 07, right? In announcing the new charge today, the prosecutors used the occasion to unveil a few other things, like some stunning new DNA evidence. And look, I know, I get it, we have all heard before about the so-called mitochondrial DNA, the, the testing of some stray hairs found on the victims, right? That's what police say links them uh, both not only to Hewerman, but to Hewerman's wife, Aza Ellerup. That's her name, Aza Ellerup. And while that technology is not the best... It does exclude a lot of people, but it does leave in a sliver of the population. And that is, you know, music to the defense ears because it allows the defense to point out that thousands of other people could be suspects. Thousands. Not my guy. I say till today because <laughs> today was like for prosecutors like the angels saying uh, the state now says that it has been able to perform something far more sophisticated, something they call nuclear DNA tests. And um, you wanted to fight, Rex? You got one. Because it not only matches uh, Aza Ellerup to some victims, it also matches your daughter, Victoria. Oh, that, that got to hurt. Like I said, you wanted the fight, you got the fight. Now we're bringing your daughter into all this because some of her DNA is out there too. Here's where I want to point out that neither Aza Ellerup, Rex's wife, nor that daughter is charged with anything. They are not even suspected of anything at this point. Absolutely not. Both of them were actually out of the state when all of these murders were committed. Oh, wait, what? I sense a pattern here. Mm, cats away, mouse will play, right? That's, that's what your mind goes to. You know, mom and the, the kids are gone. And then these murders happen, all four of them. But no, no matter what, this happened today. Look at the scene outside court. I mean, just imagine how bad this is for a wife and a kid 
right? This is their dad, their husband, and it's like a serial killing and the crush of the media and the ones you brought along to get paid. But they were both in court today when Rex was marched in, and though neither of them said anything to the reporters, they did have this camera crew. See, like, they got the production crew and the sunglasses. I want to bring in Billy Jensen. He, um, he hosted the popular podcast Unraveled, Long Island serial killer. And he's also the author of a new book called Killers Amidst Killers, Hunting Serial Killers Operating Under the Cloak of America's Opioid Epidemic. First off, I got to read that. Um, but secondly, Billy, it's really good to have you on again. You're, you're the definitive source on this. New evidence today. I was a bit floored. I didn't expect really any, uh, maybe something tiny, but uh, they, they really kind of opened the, the floodgates. Well, what they were trying to do was show that uh, you cannot give this guy bail. Uh, that was the first thing. So what you've seen is showing that this guy had been contacting sex workers as early as uh, as recently as 2020, 2021. He was using uh, burner phones. He was doing a lot of what they would call sadistic uh, searches for sadistic um, Google searches uh, for a lot of wild things. And he was a master of deception using different types of uh, burner phones and, and different aliases, showing that this guy shouldn't have bailed. But on top of that, obviously, you had the, you know, finally a um, an indictment in Maureen's murder, which is which we all knew was coming. They just wanted to cross the T's and dot the I's. So the. The list was kind of just really broad, but then also specific, right? They said he's been, you know, he's contacted hundreds of prostitutes. And like you just said, as recent as 2021, uh, he'd been searching for really sort of vile, violent and, and evil porn. Uh, it's not a crime. It's just gross. And it's never a good look when you're arrested for serial killing, um, allegedly. Uh, and then also that he used to look up the Long Island serial killing uh, process, like how the investigation was going. How are they doing? He would look up the families of the victims. That's also very strange. And he also looked up other serial killers and their cases and their investigations. Again, none of that is, you know, in itself a, a problem because we're all in the true crime family. I do that all the time. I'm just not being hauled in with my DNA out on Long Island's beaches. Yeah, when you look at a, you know, the most recent high profile serial killer would be would have been the Golden State Killer. There was no evidence that they saw that he was looking up any of that stuff. But when you look at Rex Huerman, he was looking at that. He looked up um, the the podcast that I was on. Um, uh, he looked up. I'm sure he probably looked you up. You know, uh, it, he he was watching the investigation as the investigation was going, trying to figure out. All the different times that they had announced what they were doing, they had announced that they're they're focusing on cell phone technology. He looked at that article. You know, they announced certain things with DNA. They looked at that article. I'm sure when they announced the belt, he was looking at that article. You gave me the willies with that whole business about him maybe watching this show. But you're right. I mean, if he was fascinated in it, uh, he would look at it as many sources as possible. And again, there's nothing criminal about that. It's just uh, it's, not, it's not it's not a good look. Do you have 10 seconds on why the charge now? Why not then? Why did it take all this time? They just wanted to button it down. You know, they got the DNA and they matched it up. I think it was a seven point nine trillion uh, chance that it was uh, related to to. Um, Asa as opposed to uh, another another person. So um, they felt like, you know, and Maureen's body was different. You know, she wasn't wrapped in burlap. She was actually tied up with um, 
uh, with belts. So a uh, little different, little, um, uh, but we know, we all knew right away that, you know, she was part of that, those other three. Now the big question is, did he kill anybody else, including those six other bodies that were found uh, along the parkway? Fascinating. Uh, I wonder what Rex is thinking if he's hearing this media while he's, you know, sitting in jail to know that the they were on the tail of his daughter grabbing her drinking cup, too, to test her DNA. I mean, I think of that, what he's possibly put his, well, what he has possibly put his family through. He could be innocent, but if he's not, it gets even worse. Billy Jensen, uh, you're on speed dial on this one. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'll have you back. And I also regularly have Joseph Scott Morgan on the show. Uh, he's super smart. He's a certified death investigator, forensic analyst, distinguished scholar of applied forensics at Jacksonville University. So that's a guy who just knows a lot more than I know. Um, and the big question I have for you is the big fancy words that are used. Mitochondrial DNA versus nuclear DNA testing. What's the difference? Why is it significant? It is significant because contained within the mitochondrial DNA, which is something that, you know, we're talking about hair shafts, right? So if you think about mitochondrial DNA generally coming from non-viable hair shafts, uh, that's going to contain roughly about 0.25% of the genetic information. With nuclear DNA, why this is so important, this is going to essentially contain about 99.75% of all genetic material and information. And here's the beauty of this, Ash. The mitochondrial DNA comes only through the matrilineal line. With the nuclear DNA, Mm. that comes from mom and dad. Okay, so you were thinking about the daughter here. I'm, I'm very curious about this and how this was obtained. I think they have some rather interesting, the defense has, you know, made some, kind of comments relative to, well, how in the world is could they have done this? I think they even used the word miraculous that they could have done this testing. Uh, but it is certainly, this, this is a landmark moment, I think, in this case, because they've used nuclear DNA to tie him back. So I'm curious about the fact that they've got one hair and, yeah. you know, it's more than a decade old. I always wonder how degraded evidence can be. And when you're getting to the nuclear level, I think it's a really good question. I think it's something that the defense would really mine. So what are the scientists going to say about that? Yeah, what they're going to say is that there there are new advances in DNA examination as it applies to nuclear DNA. It's been around, you know, I guess probably since about 2018. And you can find bits of nuclear DNA free-floating. And this is going to require what's referred to simply as amplification. They're going to be making copies. And this is going to be the tieback, I think, that they're looking for. Because, I mean, it's a legitimate question, right? If you generally nuclear DNA is going to be found, uh, the ideal circumstances is to find it in a root ball of the hair. And, you know, hair, hair shafts don't just, they don't necessarily always come out by the root. I mean, all of us have experiences with our own hair, right? Sometimes it'll break off mid-shaft. And we don't know what the nature of this hair is. That's going to be very interesting to explore. And listen, it's going to be, you know, I know DNA science can be kind of dry, but this is going to be the linchpin to all of this, Ash. And when that nuclear, when that DNA scientist sits on the stand in this trial, this is going to tie everything up with a bow. 
And it's going to be quite compelling to listen to how they arrived at this conclusion. And then, you know, just pile on everything else, which just is yeah. like, you know, flaming arrows nonstop. Hey, Joseph Scott Morgan, thank you for this. Really appreciate it's it. It's always a pleasure, Ash. Anytime. Anytime. Oh, pleasure's mine. Well, I'm going to take you up on that. Thank you for that. Right now, though, i got to go to Gloria Allred because she has stepped into the case, um, and she's the attorney representing Maureen Brainerd Bard's family. She's also a friend of the show, and I've been working with you for, oh, I don't know, I want to say 25 years or so. Um, it's nice to have you, Gloria. How, how is the family of, um, of the Brainerd Bard family clan, how are they doing? Well, this has been a very, very challenging uh, time for them. Uh, as you know, I represent Nikki, uh, who was seven years old when her mother was, well, m- murdered and uh, she had disappeared. Um, and, well, actually, when she disappeared, I think she was seven years old and her body was not discovered. Uh, Maureen's body was not discovered for three years after that. And she spoke today, Nikki, for the first time to the press. And she said, uh, you know, how her mother used to read to her every night. And she missed the sound of her mother's voice. And she hasn't been there when she needed her. And she needed her so much when she was growing up. But she just has never stopped missing her. And, you know, it's just heartbreaking because I can see she's lived with this. Uh, Nikki for so many years and now is the first time that she has actually spoken publicly about this. So the visual, also her um, sister. Representation. Gloria, I was just going to say the visual representation when you say it that way, she was seven when her mom went missing and there she was a grown woman you know, speaking at, at the microphone. That really sort of puts it into perspective. I do want to ask though, you know, I always look at uh, victims, and their lawyers are typically the prosecutors. And there's mm-hmm. Gloria Allred, a famous, uh, you know, American attorney. And the first thing that comes to my mind is there's got to be a, a wrongful death suit coming. There's got to be some kind of civil action. Is there? Not necessarily. And I, because I'm glad you made that point, because often victims think they are represented by prosecutors. But that's not true. Pro- and the that really makes a very big difference in any criminal case because what victims should know is that prosecutors represent the people of the state of New York uh, or the state of California, whichever state they live in. And they do not represent victims. They act as though, I'm not saying in this case, the prosecutors act as though uh, he is their attorney, but in many cases, prosecutors act that way. The significance of it is that what you ever say to a prosecutor is not confidential because he or she is not your attorney. That makes, that makes I sense. I am a yeah, private attorney. I represent the families of the, or some of the members of the families of some of the victims. And of course, they're victims too, family members of what happened to their loved ones. Whatever they say to me is confidential, will be kept confidential. That's my legal duty as their private victim's rights attorney is to keep whatever they tell me confidential unless and until they decide they don't want it to be confidential. So, in other words, what they say to a prosecutor 
might go into, who knows, sure. a police report. Yeah. And they Does don't that know mean, that. Gloria, you're so not going to tell me? That. Does that mean you're not going to tell me if there's a, a, a wrongful death civil suit headed? And I understand if it's confidential and you can't, but maybe you can just give me an idea if that, that's where they're headed. Well, I, I mean, that's not what they're focused on right now. I don't know if there ever will be a wrongful death case or not. But all I can say is what they're focused on now is justice. And what they're focused on now is learning the truth. What happened? Why, for example, uh, does the indictment uh, 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 in reference to the defendant about the death of Maureen, why does it say he, she was restrained by three belts? And I think at least one of them, the allegation may be, that the initials on one, at least one of the belts are potentially the initials of Rex Harriman's father. Uh, and also, it's just horrific to me that she apparently was restrained by three belts and ultimately put into a burlap bag. It's just horrible. Maureen all of it, was the first victim all of it is. found. But... And I will say now this, all, all of it is devastating. It, it and may not be, she may not be the last. And, there, and we're waiting on that, right? We're at four. Who knows if there'll be more? Uh, I, I always feel that you're right, justice first, but then justice can take many forms. And sometimes a, a civil wrongful death case is just as good in terms of justice. You can just ask Nicole Brown Simpson's family about that. I'm going to have you back when you are able to speak a little more freely about that. And I appreciate you uh, taking the okay. time. I know the weather's terrible. So thanks for doing this. And it's good to see you again. You look great. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Justice for and say hello to your lovely daughter, Lisa. Thanks, Gloria. Okay. We'll have you back. Okay, so coming up, we have uh, videos, right? Videos of purported UFO sightings. They're now pouring in because of last week's, there's no other way to say it, sensational jellyfish video leak, this thing. Um, the only thing that the objects all have in common is that they were seen by people, and the people who saw them have no idea what they were looking at or what that thing or those things were up to or maybe most importantly, whom exactly they should report this to. You try telling a 911 operator you saw an alien spacecraft. Coming up next, some new footage and a world-renowned expert is going to walk us through what comes next when a brand new truth comes sailing across the sky. night politics excuse me if i just want to laugh just a little stay up all evening with antenna tv and enjoy your favorite classic sitcoms designing women you're kidding oh be still my heart becker check out the hippocratic oath it doesn't mention nice wings i'm laughing already classic comedy all day all night on antenna tv 
An estimated 2% increase in total oranges produced in the U.S. this month is expected to raise production up 12% from 2022-23's final utilization. Mark Hudson of USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service says, interestingly, the breakdown from his home state, Florida, shows... There's no change from previous month. In fact, our estimate of 7.5 million boxes of non-Valencias and 13 million boxes of Valencia oranges are the same now as they were in October went for our first forecast. It seems like the size and the drop is kind of holding steady and we run our regression models so we think we're in a pretty good spot. The all-orange production number rose thanks to quarterly reports coming in on both California's and Texas's crops. Orange production in the Golden State is forecasted up 3% from the previous one and the Lone Star State's all-orange totals are up an estimated 19% in that same time period. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. When I grow up, I want to be a ballerina. Because dancing makes me happy. I get to entertain people, and nothing makes me feel more like me. P.I., a defect of the immune system, affects millions of children. Early and accurate diagnosis and treatment give children like Olivia a chance to achieve their dreams. It takes a great team to put on a show. It also takes a great team of caring people to keep a dream alive. And now my dreams are coming true. For more information, visit the Jeffrey Modell Foundation at infoforpi.org. Thanks for listening to News Nation on the Go. I'm Connell McShane. Join me weekdays 3 to 5 on America's fastest growing news channel. Stand Up to Cancer asked leading cancer researchers to speak about why they do their work. Two words come to mind for me. One is responsibility. The other is purpose. It's just so inspiring to do research that impacts human lives. Stand Up to Cancer has been a critical partner in advancing research for cancer. Cancer research saves lives. So please help us fight in this battle against cancer. Be a part of the team that ends cancer at StandUpToCancer.org. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public... The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. What if one day you went to your secret hiding place and instead of what you came for, you found a phone number? 1-800-662-HELP. What would you do? Would you stop and give it some thought? Before drugs take their toll on you and your family, know that there is help. You can quit. For help with drug use, call 1-800-662-HELP for free and confidential information and treatment referral or go to samhsa.gov slash know the risks. This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Did you know veterans enrolled in VA health care can use over 3,000 urgent care locations across the country to treat non-life-threatening conditions? It's easy and free. Just show your veteran health ID card. Get the best care for veterans. Sign up at va.gov, call 1-800-MY-VA-411, or visit your nearest VA medical center. trying to solve a mystery, it really helps to know what you're looking for. Because in my world, you know, the true crime world, um, we've got wanted posters and we've got bolo alerts and uh, we've all been taught if you see something, say something. But what about the mysteries that are not of this world? 
When it comes to UFOs, nobody even knows what we're really looking for or whom we should even tell if we do see something. Even the terminology is changing. The government now calls UFOs, UAPs, Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena. So no wonder Hollywood's having trouble keeping up. Don't get on that ship! The rest of the book, to serve men, it's, it's a cookbook! old enough to uh, know when it was only flying saucers. But last week we saw a snippet of military video, classified military video, featuring a UAP that some people called the jellyfish, other people called the spaghetti monster. Uh, and it was gliding over a U.S. base in Iraq with uh, dangly arms, switching from black to white, presumably changing its heat signature. And now comes a video from Sunday evening in Beijing, a triangular, cloud-like object described as having three light sources and moving silently from west to east. And then there was also this, flashing pink disks or orbs spotted last night by a flight attendant on a British flight from the UK to Poland. And then finally, an image from a video that was shot back in 2020. It's only now circulating, thanks to the Daily Mail. Looks sort of like a round piece of black glass floating over an airfield in Southern California. And the man who saw it says it was about 50 feet up and 6 to 10 feet in diameter. So it's a good time to bring in Nick Pope, who spent his entire career investigating UFOs for the UK Ministry of Defense. What do you make of the, the three new, you know, pieces of evidence, whatever they are, videotapes of strange things, UAPs uh, uh, in the atmosphere? Well, they're all fascinating. I've kind of got my skeptical head on tonight for some of these. I think the Beijing one looks to me, uh, because we know that this was seen over a, a large part of China, 
which tells you its high altitude. Looks to me like a, a missile test, or more likely a rocket. Uh, the, the one from the British aircraft, the pink flashing lights, uh, could be an atmospheric phenomenon like the northern lights. It could also be a reflection of something actually inside the cabin. The, the other one is interesting, the, the one over the military facility, and that's what it was, by the way. Um, it's one in the eye for people who say that uh, you can't get good footage with a, a cell phone. And look, it's probably a drone, but the question is, if it's one of ours... Uh, why are we showing it to potential adversaries by flying it in daylight? And if it's Chinese, what the heck's it doing and why aren't we stopping it? So next question, and it's a question I'm going to give you, but it's really for everybody who's, who's watching. If you happen to be the person that sees something strange in the sky and you do take video, who are you going to call? <laughs> Not Ghostbusters and 911 doesn't seem like they would take us seriously. What do we do with this information and these images? If you're in the military, you can, I guess, call the uh, Department of Defense's Arrow, uh, the unit responsible for this. And uh, if, if you're a pilot, commercial pilot, you can call air traffic control. But that's why the second piece of footage you showed was quite interesting, because the uh, airline stewardess who took that didn't see anything at the time. And, and what do you do in a situation like that? That's why it's quite timely that last week, uh, as, as reported on NewsNation, of course, we had two congressional representatives introducing legislation which would make it easier for people to report, air crew, uh, for example. But it's a bit of a mess right now, frankly. Well put. It is a bit of a mess, and I really hope they get sort of some kind of synthesized you know, structure in place for people who are seeing more and more and taking more and more video. Nick Pope, again, speed dial. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up after the break, look who's back in court. Well-groomed, looking healthy, and rocking an orange one-piece. It's Alex Murdoch stumbling into court, not happy with his double murder conviction, obviously, and trying to get a new trial, understandably. He says a member of the court tampered with the jury that gave him life in prison for murdering his wife and son. But today, things did not go exactly as Team Murdoch had hoped for. Still, what if Alex Murdoch does get a new trial? What could he do differently to win next time? We talk strategy next. If I were looking at the prospect of dying behind prison bars, I would fight like hell to find any way out of it. And that is what Alex Murdoch is doing right now. His defense team says a court clerk with her own agenda, improperly influenced the jury that found him guilty last March of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. And they want a do-over. They want a whole new trial. To that end, Alex Murdoch made his first court appearance of 2024 today, and he stumbled kind of out of the block, literally, on some steps that led to the defense table. Today was something called a status conference, but there is a full hearing that's set for a little later this month, January 29th. And if you cover court cases like we do, status conferences are boring. <laughs> There's not where you go to get the headlines. Till today, <laughs> because two major rulings came out of this status conference today. Uh, the judge said that the accused clerk, her name's Becky Hill, she can testify in a new trial hearing if there's going to be one. Uh, she is denying that she did anything wrong. But Murdoch and his team say several jurors themselves were the source of the reports about her. And on the subject of those jurors, the judge ruled today that the egg lady cannot take the stand. I know that's weird, but 
it was the nickname that was given to one of the Murdoch jurors who was dismissed during closing arguments. The reason they call her the egg lady is because she reportedly left a dozen eggs in the jury room and then asked if she could go back and get them. So egg lady. Judge said today that the only people who can be questioned are the 12 men and women who said guilty and nobody else. And that's a real hit for Murdoch. I want to bring in Matt Murphy to explain why that is. He's a criminal defense attorney who spent almost 20 years as a homicide prosecutor in Orange County, California. Matt, why is it such a big hit that they can't question the egg lady? Well, the egg lady appears to have a problem with the clerk. She was actually removed from the trial because of irregularities that the clerk reported to the judge, where apparently she's discussing the case, which is a huge no-no for a juror. So um, the court very correctly here, and this is, this is a no-nonsense, awesome judge, from piss and everything we saw, um, and really to get a new trial based on juror misconduct or procedural irregularity, which is one of the, one of the reasons you get a, can get a new trial in South Carolina— um, basically, it's, it's a two-step process. Was there misconduct? And two, did it substantially prejudice the rights of the accused? Okay, now it's rights of the convicted. It is a very, very high standard. So she is just going to go through those 12 jurors and find out if they were influenced. And if, if the 12 of them huh. say no, um, that's, uh, that's very bad for Murdoch. Then, then it's over. I, I keep thinking the egg lady might have been you know, sympathetic to, to Murdoch. And that there was this whole rumor, you know, that the clerk spread rumors saying the egg lady posted Facebook posts, you know, about talking to her, her husband about the case. And then those Facebook posts don't exist anywhere. So it's a bit messy. If I were Murdoch, I'd want to question her. I'd want to know if she was one of the people who was in favor of him and could have hung a jury. But uh, that's me. If they get a new trial, Matt, if they get a new trial, What's the strategy? Do you use the same evidence? Do you use the same strategy? Or do you say, oh, no, you're not going on the stand. And now we're going to point to an alternative killer. Yeah, I think the one big change the defense would make is actually not having him testify because his performance was was not good. Um, however, uh, is that going to make any difference in this case? I don't think so. This is the, the evidence against this guy. Alex Murdoch is overwhelming. Um, it, it really is. And he, he lied. Remember, he lied to law enforcement for 20 months about being at those kennels. And then he's caught on his son's uh, on his son's Snapchat right before the murder. That's a huge deal. He had he had a ton of motive here. Um, they don't have to prove motive, but he certainly had it. Um, and look, he's uh, I, I, I'm I can tell you right now he's going down if he gets a second trial. But I don't think based on what we saw today. If I had to if I had to call it this very no nonsense old school judge, I think she's shutting this down. Um, it's a high standard. It's Ooh. very rare uh, that something like this wow. succeeds. I think uh, I think that she's going to deny this. You're coming back because I need to have an argument with you about motive. I don't think he had motive. I don't think he did it. But you know, you and I differ, and you're smarter. I just like you I can't know wait. fighting. Not smarter. <laughs> we come back, Matt. Thank you for this. Anytime. Thank you very much. All right, still to come, there are a few trials that stop a nation in its tracks, OJ style. The Brian Koberger's trial will undoubtedly be one of those. And we are about to find out exactly when the Idaho quadruple murder trial is um, likely to happen, when that guy is going to meet his jury. So if you've been following the story, get out your calendar, because we have an update on the Super Bowl of true crime next. Two big hearings are on the docket in Moscow, Idaho, in the case against Brian Koberger. The first in the morning is private. 
It's a defense motion to toss out the indictment altogether. Um, the defense claims the grand jury process was biased. Defense claims the grand jurors were deliberately shown inadmissible and insufficient evidence. Prosecutors say that's nonsense. Uh, second hearing is public. Yay! And it's a two-parter. The first one uh, is going to focus on another defense motion about the supposedly tainted grand jury process. And yeah, I know, it's like Groundhog Day. The judge has already ruled against similar motions. So it is highly unlikely that Koberger is going to see his quadruple murder charges dismissed. But you never know. Uh, second part of the second hearing is all about the calendar. Ooh, you got me now. When is that trial going to start? The state has asked that the trial take place in the summertime. That's when the school is out. Fewer people are around. Is the judge going to agree? I'm joined now by Richard Block. He's a criminal defense attorney in Idaho. Um, 429 days ago, this murder happened, Richard Block. What are the chances we'll see a trial a year and a half from the killings? That, that would be this summer. I think that really depends on what was in that DNA data that the, that the defense just got. So just back on uh, January 11th, the judge ordered a partial disclosure of the IgG or investigative genetic genealogy data uh, to the defense. It really depends what's in that. How long is it going to take them to get through that? What else does that maybe bring up? And I'm sure right now the defense, if they've actually got it in their hands, has got it to their expert and they're looking through it and trying to figure out what's in there. Yeah, but here's what I think, which is like, doesn't matter. But I've watched a lot of these things. And it's amazing if you can get a single murder trial uh, into a courtroom in a year and a half, let alone a quadruple murder trial with death penalty on the table and a crime scene that's littered with so many sources of DNA, like, like the Idaho House was. Do you think it's possible, even in 2024, uh, we, we could see this murder trial? I'd be surprised. You know, I always expect it to take much more time than a year and a half. Like, generally, you would think at least two years for any murder. But who knows? Things could go faster. You know, not being directly involved in the case, it's hard to tell you exactly. Yeah. By the way, real quick, does Idaho like to prosecute faster? Is that just, it's too hard to answer that? I think that's everywhere. All prosecutors like to move fast. They always think they're best on day one. Unless they have the goods. <laughs> All right, Richard, thank you. I'm looking forward to this. I've never, like, I've never looked forward to status conferences or you know, scheduling conferences, but I'm, I am looking forward to this one. We'll have you back. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, coming up next, a very important question. How many lawyers does it take to try a suitcase murder in Florida? This is not a joke. It's an actual question. Because Sarah Boone is up to a half dozen lawyers after police say she zipped her boyfriend into a suitcase and then watched him die. We're not talking about her having a big team here. We're talking about her having an ever-changing team. So wait until you hear what the judge has said about that next. Lawyers and their clients don't always agree, and sometimes it gets so bad that the lawyers pull the plug or the client fires them, which is a big deal in a murder case, you know, because life in prison and all. In the case of this lady, Sarah Boone, it is starting to look like she doesn't get along very well with others because she's now on to lawyer number six. Her case is often called the suitcase murder trial because four years ago, this happened. She allegedly zipped her boyfriend, George Torres, into a suitcase and then ignored his cries for help until he died, suffocated. Her trial has been delayed over and over again because of the constant lawyer swapping. Her newest lawyer just got the case in September, so yet again, there's a delay to the start of her trial. It was supposed to start January 29th, but now it's postponed till, till May. 
Um, quick refresher, back in Feb 2020, just as COVID hit, her first attorney was an assistant public defender named Lydia Barr. Uh, Lydia Labar. Lydia worked the case for about a month until Sarah Boone said she wanted a private attorney. So she hired a new lawyer, lawyer number two, Mauricio Padilla, who took the case in March of 2020. But Mauricio drew, uh, withdrew two years later in May of 2022, telling the judge that his relationship with Boone had become, quote, adversarial. It's not good. Uh, enter David Verrett, uh, lawyer number three. He took the case next, but he had to bow out when it was revealed that he previously represented a witness in the case. So Mark Consalo signed on, lawyer number four. Uh, but Mark was only on the case for a couple of weeks before withdrawing in July of 2022, saying that there was a, quote, conflict with his representation of the defendant that precludes him from further representation in the case, end quote. Next up, Frank Bankwitz. He got the job on July 11th, 2022, becoming lawyer number five. And guess what? Yep. He withdrew a year later on August 22, 2023, citing irreconcilable differences with his client, Sarah Boone. He said he didn't want to work with her anymore because she called him a dud and a buffoon. And on his way out, he told the judge, the best possible avenue is to have the defendant represent herself as no attorney can satisfy her. Uh, Boone's current attorney, lawyer number six, Winston Hobson, has been on the case a total of four months. And as of right now, he's gonna be up to bat when that trial starts on May 13th. And by the way, in case you're wondering, well, he only got the case, you know, in the fall, that's not very long for a murder case. The judge said, that's it. <laughs> There's no more delays allowed. Judge even says that the trial is gonna go forward if Sarah Boone dumps him and picks another lawyer. So if that's the case, Sarah Boone better start brushing up in the law, law library because um, she might be down to just herself, like her last one of her last lawyers said. What number was that? I don't know. Lawyer number five. <laughs> Nobody's out as wiser. All right. Speaking of suitcase murders, tomorrow there's a sentencing going on for a suitcase murder. And it's weird because it, it happened in Bali, Indonesia. And then that the daughter of the victim and her boyfriend were already convicted and served time and then flew home and then they were arrested when they got here. And that daughter is going to be sentenced for it again. I always thought double jeopardy. But there's a little twist to double jeopardy. And it has to do with killings and where they happen. And American citizens and if they do the killings. I hope that's enough to get you tidied over till tomorrow because we're going to have the full story for you. In the meantime, I'm going to take myself a break and I'm going to turn the mic over to Christopher Cuomo. He's coming up next and I'll see you right here tomorrow. You take care now. We want to thank the great people of Iowa. Thank you. We love you all. The big night is going to be in November when we take back our country and truly we do make our country great again. Hey, everybody. I'm Chris Cuomo, former President Donald Trump. Nothing nasty to say because he had an historic win last night in Iowa. But there were some very important lessons learned. What are they? We have them on this Tuesday when we're back live. So what do you say? Let's get after it. The headline, Trump basically broke every record that they keep in Iowa when it comes to GOP caucuses. How much different will things Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. 
At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.